right, everyone, warm up those brains. It's time for a special episode of the Get More Smarter podcast. I'm Jason Bain. I'm Ian Silveri. This episode on the Get More Smarter podcast, our interview with Colorado's junior U.S. Senator and returning friend of the show, John Hickenlooper. He's a geologist. He's a brewer. He's a mayor. He's a governor. And he's the dude who cut the biggest deal on climate policy in the history of the country. We'll see if we can fit the word Hickenlooper into the Captain Planet theme song. My great pleasure to introduce Captain Planet himself, Colorado Senator John Hickenlooper. Welcome back to the Get More Smarter podcast, Senator. Uh, it's great to be back with you guys. Congratulations on the Inflation Reduction Act. Tell us everything that's in the bill. <laughs> <laughs> we were trying to see if we could get it down to 30 seconds and we just can't. <laughs> It's like, it's got more, you know, it reminded me a little bit when I was a little, when I was a little kid and my mother grew up in the depression, we never went out for dinner except my uncle Nan, his name was Gordon, but he'd come once a year on a sales trip and we'd let him stay at our house in exchange. He'd take us all his kids out to dinner with my mom. And we went to the Viking Inn smorgasbord and there you could just get a little bit of everything. And that's pretty much what this bill is about. It's got a little bit of everything for everybody. But a little healthier. Then a little healthier. Then the Viking. Yeah, a little, well, the Viking smorgasbord back in those days, it was all that. I mean, it wasn't out of the can. It was real food. <laughs> so, so let's narrow it down to just the Colorado ver- uh, part of the smorgasbord here. I'm sure there's a ton of great things for the country in there. We've been pouring through it ourselves over here. But what are we? What's the? What are the people in in the state of Colorado going to see out of this thing? Well, I think anybody who is concerned about. And, and we can't even call it drought now. I mean, this drought is so long and so deep. I've been referring to it either as aridification or desertification. I mean, it's a climactic change. And because of that, we've got real challenges for our agriculture, the wildfires, these incredible storms we see. Uh, and this bill is the first time, it's the most significant climate rescue initiative in the history of the world. And no other country has ever made this kind of an initiative, and it's going to come back to Colorado. Colorado is one of those places just because of our geography and where we're located in the country that uh, outside the, the, the coastal states, we are kind of ground zero. So that's a, to me, that's the most important thing uh, just in, in the in writ large. And obviously, there are other things to do with climate. Uh, there's $4 billion in the, in the bill for uh, the lower and upper basin to look at how are we going to deal with this aridification, this incredible extended drought? And that, actually, you know, the part that hasn't gotten much notice, but I was in the room when Michael Bennett went to work on Schumer uh, to say that it is, you know, Senator Cinema came out and this was a, the original, her idea was $4 billion, which was pretty much only going to help Arizona and, and the other low, lower basin states, but primarily Arizona. Uh, and Michael was very uh, persuasive in a, in a quiet but tenacious way saying that's not going to work. And, and this has got to be something that benefits the upper basin and the lower basin. And to watch him square off against uh, Chuck Schumer when you're so close to getting a bill done, it was a portrait in courage. He was, Bennett was right, right there, not losing his cool, 
but but molding the conversation and in a persistent, very powerful way, kind of showing Schumer that the only real way to get this through would be to do something that was not just the upper and lower basin, but other drought stricken areas as well. Of course, the lower and upper basin of the Colorado River are going to get 95 percent of the money that this is the worst drought in the the whole country right now. And and then the other pieces like uh, the prescription drugs and 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 what are the other parts of it that Coloradans are going are going to see pretty soon you know the prescription drugs are a, a big deal um, ex- extending the uh, Affordable Care Act subsidies which is going to let thousands of Coloradans who previously couldn't afford to get onto our exchange and, and actually pay for their own insurance uh, this allows them to uh, in many cases maintain their insurance and, and in some new cases, for the first time, get insurance. That's just a, I mean, we've all known people that are going through their daily lives with no health insurance and they are one, one infection, one broken limb, one cancer scare away from bankruptcy. Uh, So it's, this is just a huge big deal there as well. Uh, I I think those are the, the, the big things. Although again, lowering the cost for prescription drugs, you want to go talk to senior citizens and know that they're going to be capped. Their prescription drug costs are going to be capped at $2,000 a year. I mean, that is suddenly a sense of freedom. People are, are going to be, you know, standing up from the kitchen table, you know, as they're doing their monthly budget and saying, you know what? This is going to be a lot less uh, anxious than it is has been for the last several years. No, it's absolutely true. I actually uh, am prescribed a drug that I take every eight weeks uh, via infusion that costs $15,000 a dose. Luckily, for the vast majority of the time I've had this prescription, I've had insurance that covers the vast majority of it. But there have been times when I've had to figure out how to do a very, very very large copay. And having that cap, you're exactly right. It's going to be life-changing for some people. I mean, this thing is gigantic. it's, It's not just the policy that's inside of it. I think it's it also brings a sense of belief and faith and renews courage that like, oh my God, we can actually do things like things can get done in Washington. Like <laughs> we didn't think that was possible for a while. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was in a funny way. That was the most exciting part is when it began to look like, oh my God, that this is, you know, every time I talked to Joe Manchin, right. Even when he had thrown up his arms four weeks ago and said, you know, I've had it. And, and, and all these, so many of the, of the Democrats and, and Democrats all across the country kind of gave up on it. And I saw him two days later uh, and I said, Hey, are you really done? Are you, and he goes, no, I'm not done. I'm still willing to talk. I'm, I'm you know, I'm in this. I, I'm worried about climate change. I just want to make sure that it's balanced and that we don't, you know, we don't have $6 a gallon gasoline so that we're, you know, we're dealing with climate on the backs of working people. I want to make sure there's a balance in the thing. I said, well, let's, you know, I, I told I told somebody I said as long as Joe Manchin's still at the table, I'm still at the table, and that we, you know we we just have to stick to this. Um, I mean that was the that was the scary part. But then once he once he demonstrated that he was you know seriously interested in talking and that was he was open to different scenarios beyond just what he had in his mind. Uh, the fact that we could actually get something done in the U.S. Senate was pretty pretty intoxicating. And that's without having any beer. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure about that part, but <laughs> let's, you received a lot of credit for helping convince Manchin to perhaps come back, and and you're getting credit for for Kirsten Cinema starting to you know coming back to the negotiating table 
What was the situation with her? How did, how did you help there? Well, let me just say first that when your fellow senators um, single you out and say, you know, here's the role he pick and looper played and here's why it really mattered. And a bunch of the nonprofit activists, you know, the leaders of some of these big nonprofit groups around climate change, um, that's that's as good a compliment as I could want. And in a funny way, I was it was more like, you know, you're not the governor, but you're 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 part of a team. And I've always wanted I've always believed that I could be as good a teammate, as good a, as good a team player as I was a leader. And in this case, I mean, Joe Manchin was negoti- negotiating with Chuck Schumer. I didn't do any of those negotiations. He he knows what he wants and he did those negoti- negotiations. Same thing with Kirsten Cinema. But in both cases, I tried to be as optimistic to them and to those people around them. Um, when Joe Manchin was very concerned about inflation and, and he was very blunt to me, he says, I'm just really worried about inflation. So we went, we knew that in the past he'd, he'd done modeling at the uh, Penn Wharton, you know, the, the Wharton School of Business in Philadelphia. So we went to Penn Wharton and said, hey, can you model this whole package? And, and sure enough, they, they proved that it was not inflationary. Uh, they said it was flat, but if you actually look at it, I mean, lower energy costs, lower health care costs over the 10 years is definitely going to be anti-inflationary. It's going to lower the cost for working Americans everywhere. Anyway, and, and then when, when, when Kirsten Cinema was, you know, deciding, trying to decide how she was going to get her arms around this uh, and she wanted to get rid of the, the, the part of the money raised to pay for this was going to be eliminating the carried interest deduction. And for various reasons, she was wouldn't do that. And so that was I was talking to, to Senator Schumer and uh, just said, well, what about this? You know, the having a, a one time excise fee when when companies do stock buybacks, because uh, otherwise it just that, that stock buybacks just raise the stock and usually make make huge windfall profits for the senior executives, which, again, it's OK, but they've got plenty of other. They're incentives. doing fine. Yeah, yeah they're OK. <laughs> And anyway, so originally uh, Senator Schumer didn't, wasn't very interested, but it was the one thing that turned out to work out that everyone, even if they don't like it. And, I, you know, I was a small business guy. I, I hate all taxes. Right. But you, you got to pay for this stuff. Right. Somehow you got to pay for this stuff. And, and this was the one that worked out and was OK with cinema. Uh, it was, you know, the whole thing. It, it was funny to, to be in the right place at the right time with these discussions is is sometimes just fate. You just happen to be in that place and you, you know me, I'm a, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm always an optimist. I, I, you know, when people want to give up, I refuse to give up because we didn't have an alternative. There was nothing else we were talking about that was going to do one, one tenth of one, one hundredth of a percent of what this bill is going to do. So how can you give up? And I just, then I had to turn the dial, my fun dial, my internal fund up, <laughs> I had to turn it up into, I'm having a good time. This is fun. And usually if you're having a good time, other people start having <laughs> a good time too. I also, you know, I have a great team of people. My chief of staff, Kirtan Mehta, worked for uh, uh, Joe Manchin, was his legislative director some years ago. So has a very good relationship with, not, not only with Joe Manchin, but with their whole staff. So we had good lines of communication, which is always a benefit. I, again, I wasn't trying to negotiate with him. I was just trying to make sure that there was a real positive energy that he recognized that this would be historic. This is something that, you know, if he can find a way to to a compromise, it will be historic and he will be written in history books. Right. And he will be. This is one of the biggest things that we've seen in this country in, in decades. 
So there's there's a piece of the bill that we're we're a little confused about. Maybe you can help clear this up for us. So uh, there was an insulin cap uh, with the rest of the sort of prescription drug price reductions that were going on in this. Republicans threw down incredibly hard against this thing. Uh, you have to imagine that they have constituents that need insulin that have diabetes as well and don't want to be paying hundreds or thousands of dollars for a dose of it. I think you all wanted to cap it around what we did in Colorado, like $35. Like what yep. happened to that? Why would Republicans throw down so hard against that? Well, it was like the PACT Act. Remember two weeks ago, uh, we packed the PACT Act that you know, allowed veterans, the PACT Act allowed veterans who'd been uh, exposed to these toxic burn pits. These like, you know, all our military bases in, in, in Afghanistan and Iraq, around the world. And these were, you know, some of them were the size of half a football field. And they burned medical waste. They burned tires. They burned whole automobiles. And the smoke and the fumes, I mean, these soldiers... Have, were exposed to this stuff, and it's clearly connected to a number of different cancers. And we were making them prove each one separately. So the PACT Act just gave, said, no, no, this is, this is fair. These people defended our country. And the Republicans had historically always supported it. But since we had just decided to go through reconciliation and, and to get the, create the Inflation Reduction Act, they were so angry, they defeated the PACT Act when it came up the first time. So we had to pass it again this, this last week. And the insulin cap was the same thing. I think they were just angry. We got, there were seven Republicans who voted for the amendment to add this $35 cap. Uh, so I think maybe we'll come back and after, the, set, after the, the recess and maybe we'll be able to get a, you know, in some way be able to capture a, uh, a cap like that. Uh, if you got seven acts, seven votes in that process, we could have gotten more. I've been in politics for a long time. We, I was the chief of staff to the speaker when you were the governor. You and I have had lots and lots of conversations over the years about this stuff. We've, we've gotten into some you know, heated situations. I've been angry. I've never been angry enough to take it out on people with diabetes, though. This, this is what I don't get. It's like, it, point your frustration elsewhere. You kind of touched on it a bit earlier, but when you were running for Senate, Republicans loved to point out that you had said previously that you weren't sure if the Senate would really be your jam. Uh, as it turns out, you're pretty good at this. What, what happened? I, why are you? Why did this work out as well as uh, it has so far? Well, you know, it is a completely different job, and it's a different mindset. But you know, when I was running a bunch of bars and restaurants, and then I decided to be—I'd I'd take a, 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 a swing at the moon and, and run for mayor of Denver. That was a completely different job. But it, you know, a lot of the skills I learned in the restaurant business—you know, there's no profit in having enemies. You know, treat people with respect, be a servant. That all was good foundations for being mayor and, and surround yourself with talent. And from that, you know, getting the whole Metro Denver to work with the city of Denver was a good platform to run for governor. Governor's completely different, but it was the same skills. And as much as I didn't ever think I'd want to be in the Senate, when it looked like like Trump might win in 2020 and might have the Senate majority, I I was persuaded, you know, uh, Ed Perlmutter and Ken Salazar, Michael Bennett, a lot of these people leaned on me pretty hard. Um, uh, anyway, I find in the Senate that I'm in the right place for where I am in my life to, I mean, I, it, when you're a, a governor or a mayor, you're making decisions every day, three or four decisions that piss people off. And I love that responsibility, but it's stressful. Whereas in the Senate, you're building relationships and you're really getting to understand people and listen to them and understand when they say something, what they really mean and asking 
learning the right way to ask someone to clarify any confusion. And, and, and so I did that a lot as, as, as mayor and as governor in the restaurant business, but it wasn't my primary focus. Whereas this is, I, and I, I love it because I love people and I love going deep. I mean, I've got, I mean, I think I know of the Democrats, probably 40 or 45 of the Democrats really well. And there's 20 Republicans who I think are moderate that given on the issue, whether it's comprehensive immigration or small business reform or, or expanding health care so that everybody has it. I feel that there are enough Republicans, as I get to know them, that if, if, it's, if it's put together in the right way, they could, they're a possible yes. And I, I kind of love that. I find that exhilarating to think, oh, my God, there's a deal here down the road somewhere. I was looking at, I was sort of a compiling a list of President Biden's accomplishments so far, because there was that period in June and July when people were just really, really down on him and his approval ratings were going down and it was all doom and doom and doom. But just like a quick look through these things, $430 billion climate change, you know, pharmaceutical bill and in the in- Inflation Reduction Act, 528,000 jobs in July alone, Sweden and Finland and NATO, uh, uh, the bipartisan gun bill, the PACT Act, like you talked about, Speaker Pelosi to Taiwan, uh, I mean, Al-Zawari is dead, uh, gas prices are under four dollars a gallon i mean it kind of makes you hope a little bit again that like more do you think this is like the breaking of a dam and and more things might get done and if so what's next uh, on your plate well i i hope so and i and i i look at the amount of grief that joe biden got i mean he came in at the end of the worst economic catastrophe that the world has suffered in a century this is no other, probably no time in history has the world actually shut down as an economic enterprise, the entire globe. And of course, it's just after we finished the, the, the evolution into a just-in-time economy. So everyone, no matter what they're making, it's a big supply chain and they're getting everything at the last possible moment so that nothing sits on a shelf. Well, there's, there's, no, there, there's no buffer uh, against a, a, a pandemic or, or some international disruption. So... We've never been here before. All of that inflation, I bet 80 percent of when they actually study this, 80 to 90 percent of the inflation is the result of the pandemic and the disruption of the of the of the supply chains. And, you know, the the invasion of Ukraine, which you can't blame on Biden. But Biden came in and literally, I mean, with the American Recovery Act, uh, all those other uh, things he did in his first six months got the economy going. And everyone said, oh, you're going to have, you know, this and that and this. And then all of a sudden the supply chains kicked in and there was clear inflation. The, the, the biggest problem I think the Biden administration had was they were too optimistic and they didn't caution the public. They, you know, when they first got the pandemic under control, they said, we, we beat it. We showed that pandemic. And of course, then another wave came. They should have said, hey, we've got it under control now, but we know it's a threat and you've got to be careful. Same thing with the supply chains. They shouldn't have said it was transitory. They should have said, you know, this, this is the result largely of the pandemic. We hope it's transitory, but if it's not, we've got to be planning. We've got to make sure the Federal Reserve is ready to do what it needs to do. Anyway, I look at there are a lot of countries around the world where the, the federal government's put no money into the economy and their inflation is worse than ours. So there's no way you can argue that this pandemic is because of any Biden policy. Biden, as you just said, has had the perhaps the greatest two weeks of, of any president. That's what I was saying. This is the craziest August on record. No, there's no comparison. Ever, ever in my lifetime. I can never remember a president having, I mean, everything he's touched has, has turned to gold after, you know, 18 months of, of just a nightmare. 
and suddenly everything's going his way just in the nick of time. Knock wood. Knocked. You got it. <laughs> yeah. Part of it is I think that, that President Biden and his team have really gelled and they're now they're they're into it. They're ready. They're making the right decisions. And I think they're that's what gets me excited is I look at some of these things that have been taboo, like, you know, figuring out the uh, a comprehensive immigration uh, reform project, figuring out some of the issues around expanding healthcare, figuring out, you know, some of the implementation of climate change. How are we going to build these transmission lines that we're going to need to make this great transition into a clean energy future? All these things seem possible now because we've, as you say, I think we've broken the dam. One more question before you let you go. Um, do you think this is all because of dark Brandon? <laughs> oh, that's above my pay grade. I don't want to get too... I don't, want to, I don't want to get too far over my skis to mix a metaphor. Dark Brandon and Captain Planet together. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest superhero matchup of all time. Well, Senator John Hickenlooper, governor, mayor, all the things you've been to the state of Colorado. Thank you so much for fighting for us in D.C. Thank you so much for getting Mansion and Cinema and Bennett back at the table and making this deal happen. And thank you so much for joining us once more on the Get More Smarter podcast. It is always great to see you. It is always great to talk to you. Thanks for your time. We know you're busy. Now, thanks, Ian. Thanks, Jason. You guys do a great job. Appreciate being on. The Get More Smarter Podcast is a production of ColoradoPulse.com and the Bighorn Company. Your hosts are me, Ian Slaveri, and America's dad. Yeah, Jason Bain. <laughs> One more. <laughs> he also engineers and produces the show. Breakmaster Cylinder made our theme music. Thanks again to John Hickenlooper for being our special guest. COVID is back, but hospitalizations are still going down, and my hopes are going up. Subscribe to Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Rate the show and leave us a review on the iTunes store. If you got more smarter, it helps a lot. Find us at GetMoreSmarter.com, and please send all your email to Jason at GetMoreSmarter.com and pictures of your dog to Ian at GetMoreSmarter.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.